So I want to thank all of you for giving me and Pastor Tony the extra freedom to attend conference. It was great for both of us. And also the week that I was able to take off before conference to visit with my family. And I had a fun time doing that. I got to do something that I got part of doing here, but doing entirely on my own. And that was I got to meet with my niece and nephew, have a short count, have a counseling session with them. And then on Saturday before conference, last week Saturday, I was able to baptize them. And that was great. And just because of the turn of events, we, it was one of the first gatherings that my sending church, my home church, was able to really do since COVID. Their restrictions are vastly different than ours. In fact, once you go about an hour away from here, the masks suddenly all come back everywhere, it seems like. But, so that was one of the biggest gatherings for them that they were able to do since COVID. And also because of just the events that happened, the pastor that retired from my ch home church last year, this was the first conference that they were able to honor him as a retiree from Village Missions. So he was at our church and he was able to witness that. So that was a great blessing for me just to see everyone there and able to take part of that particular ministry. And then conference, it was a great conference for us village missionaries to get just relax, hear from God's word, and minister to one another. Being a pastor, you oftentimes don't quite get that. You minister to other people's needs. But it was just a week that the staff of Village Missions ministered to us. And we were able to take time and reflect upon the work that we do. But I did get some good news from there as well. Well, so I was, they finally told me where I'm going to be going. So my last Sunday here is going to be August 1st. And then the following Sunday, I will be giving my first sermon down at Sumner Community Church in Sumner, Oregon. Now, for those of you who don't quite know where that is, and it's okay, I didn't know either. <laughs> if you go down to Coos Bay and head inland about nine to 15 minutes, there is a small town called Sumner, Oregon. It has a church about 150 people at most, no stores, and a volunteer fire department. But they have a great facility there for their church, 30 or 40 people that regularly attend, and it works in association with several other village missionaries and other churches in the area that they get together, and every summer they run a summer camp about an hour and a half south of that church called Camp Furcroft that they have a week for elementary school kids, a week for middle school kids, and a week for high school kids. So don't be surprised if I write back to you talking about that and seeing if anyone wants to take an opportunity to volunteer to get involved with that. <laughs> you don't have to, but you might find that you enjoy doing that a lot. So that was the blessings that I had before of conference and also to baptize my niece and nephew. And that was a lot of fun. So now we come to our sermon message. And I struggled a bit trying to figure out the exact way 
that we were going to approach today's subject. It is a Father's Day message. And I heard from multiple people, both within the church and, with, and outside the church, that saw my Mother's Day one of, we loved your Mother's Day message. We want you to do that for Father's Day. And don't worry, we're going to do something similar, but it's going to be different. I am not just going to simply swap the gender pronouns to make it work. The magic smoke, as it were, of that sermon went out, and God laid upon me a different message to preach today. And our passage today that we're going to be working through is in Luke 15. And it's going to be through, we're going to be working our way through the parable of the prodigal son. And this, I hope, is a blessing to you fathers, those who aspire to be fathers, because God here is going to give you a gift within this message that we are going to see today, that we see a relation that, of the father to his son. But this entire parable came about, in fact, the two previous ones come about because Jesus overhears some people complaining. In Luke 15, we start off seeing, then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees inscribed, complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with him them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, and of which Jesus dives into three parables that are all related to one another. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. Or some of your Bibles might say the parable of the lost son. And in these three parables, there's some commonalities. We have three things that are lost. A sheep, a coin, and a son. We have three searches that are carried out for the sheep, the coin, and the son. We have three that are found. And ultimately, we have three celebrations. While these parables are called parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, really the emphasis comes at the end, the celebration that takes place when all are found. And not just a private celebration, but a public one. The finder wants it to be known that some, what was lost is now found. And think back to those Pharisees hearing this message, that they're indignant at Jesus ministering to tax collectors and sinners, and he's eating with them. How dare he? But Jesus wants to teach us, wants to show us that we should rejoice when that which is lost is found. And the first parable, maybe they could relate with. Sheep are valuable. And when one goes astray from the 99, well, sure, even though they as Pharisees would never be so low as to deal with sheep in that manner, they could certainly see, well, that's your business, your livelihood. When a sheep is found, that is a cause for rejoicing. When the lost coin is lost and then found, well, maybe that's something that they could really relate to when they lost a little bit of money out of their for great fortunes and they find it. Maybe them as Pharisees could really identify with that parable. But when it comes to this last one that we will be looking at, 
the parable of the lost son, the parable of the prodigal son. This is one that they would really struggle to deal with because they have their standard, their belief of how the word of God is to be interpreted. And they as good Pharisees would not respond in the way that the father does in the parable or the way that our heavenly father responds to that, to the sinners who come to him. So well, we begin in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the father of them, sorry, and the younger of them said to the, his father, Father, give to me a portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now I want you to think on that a little bit of what the son is really asking. He's telling his father, you know what, my life would be so much better if you died and I would get ever the, the inheritance that I think is owed to me. That's what he's telling his father. My life is so bad, I wish you were dead. And I would receive everything that I feel is owed to me. But then it continues on. And many days after the father divided his livelihood in 13, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, if we were a different kind of church and we just stopped right there, you could see them taking weird interpretations of scripture. That is a great father, they would say, or even modern society. That is a great father right there. He affirmed his son's identity, even though the son hated him and hated everything about him. Good on you, son. You have decided to, on this new identity for yourself, here, take my money and go. My blessing to you. To you. And some churches may end there, affirming sinful identity, dishonoring the father in such a way. But Jesus continues on, and we can see that the son wastes his money, and how eventually he ends up poor, destitute, begging for a job. And the person who hires him probably knows a bit about who that son is and gives him the most insulting job that you can think of. Feed the pigs. Feed these unclean animals. In fact, I'm not even going to feed you in, get, pay you enough to afford food that you're so desperate, you're fighting with the pigs to get the food that you want. But ultimately, the son, he comes to his senses, looks up into heaven and declares that his father's servants live so much better than he is living now and how he's going to return to his father and not beg his father to be restored to his previous position. But even if I was just my father's slave, I would be so much better. And here is where God is going to reveal his gift to the son in this particular story. But you fathers, this is God's gift to you from, that we are going to see from this passage. God is going to give to you the gift or the freedom to be unashamed. And we continue on in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still 
a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The first gift, the first thing way the father was unashamed of his son, he was unashamed to see his son. In fact, the way it describes it, you could almost see it. He's standing at the edge of his field every day, looking at the horizon, hoping that his son will return to him. He's not ashamed to see him. Moreover, in verse 21, and this still relates to the first way the father is unashamed, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father is unashamed to see and to hear his son out. And this flies in the face of the society that those Pharisees were in. For in their mindset, and according to the law of Moses and their very strict, very narrow interpretation of the law, that father to fulfill the law of Moses should have back then dealt with him, but now should drag him to the gates of the city, call him an unworthy son, and cast the first stone that would kill him. That is what the Pharisees believed, that that would be a righteous action to do unto the son. But the father takes it in an opposite direction, and not just in a small way, but in a big way. He runs. He cares little about his dignity at this point, embraces his son, and wants it to be known to everyone by seeing this, that he is not ashamed to welcome his son back into the midst of them. The father is unashamed. And not only he wants it to be seen, he's willing to listen to his son. I am sure that father was hurt beyond any wreck, all belief, when his son said, I want, effectively, I want you to die. I hate you, your business, and everything about you so much. I wish you were dead so I could live the lifestyle that I know is for me. That was the last thing he saw of his son. And now he's back. And he is, he doesn't care what society says about him, the father. How it would view him. That they may see him as less of a man. For running, weeping, embracing, and listening to his son. He's unashamed. He is also unashamed to forgive. Continue on in verse 22. But the father said, to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put the ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. This is not the behavior of one ready to cast out his son, to only accept him as a servant or as a slave as the son desires just at this point of the son would be happy with, Father, make me your slave. I don't even need to be your son. You can disown me all you want. I just, living the way I was wouldn't work. But the son, the father goes so much beyond that to forgive his son. And this is such a sharp contrast to what those Pharisees will be expecting to hear. Remember, they're expecting 
stone the son. Okay, maybe now you're welcoming back, but you, how could you forgive him? He dishonored you to such a degree. But the father is quick to forgive. He is unashamed to let it be known that those transgressions, they are in the past. That he wants to forgive the son. And then he is unashamed to restore the son. And he, the father says in verse 24, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And, began, and they began to be merry. He is unashamed to restore the son to his previous position. Now, this is not to say that the son didn't face consequences because of his actions. And though not the focus of today, if we were to look ahead to the elder son and his complaint to the father of not being able to celebrate with his friends, the father does answer that everything that the father has now belongs to the eldest son. What the youngest son squandered and wasted, he is not necessarily, he's not getting that back. But for his transgression against the father, forgiven. For him to be cast out of the family, he is now welcomed back with open arms. The relationship is different. But the father forgave. And lets it be known to the younger son once again. For your brother was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. And I hope you see the parallels here between our relationship with the Heavenly Father, where we, through our sinful acts, rejected the Father, His plan for us. And then when we come to Him, that He is quick to forgive to embrace us, to restore, in fact, make us something newer. The way the Father restored here pales in comparison to the way that we have been restored. That we have been made into something entirely new. And we will get so much more blessings than the Son receives here. But that's not our, that is a bit of our focus. But the Father's gift to you, our Heavenly Father's gift to you fathers now, is the gift of being unashamed. I know in today's society that we're competing with many different standards of how it is to be a father. Years ago, it was that gruff, tough father image that we saw in our movies, in our dramas, in our pulp fictions. And that explanation at the beginning of the father who society says is a great father, hey, he was present. He didn't walk out on, the father didn't walk out on his family. By now that's considered, you're a great father if you're simply there and only passed out on the chair six days out of seven. But our Heavenly Father is so much more. He is unashamed to see us, to forgive us and welcome us back. And what would our church look like if that was a sign of our church for everyone to see. If you be, 
when I was in the military and people saw the weird way that my hair was cut because it's like I belong to a cult for some reason. That's a joke of the Marine Corps, but slightly lost. But <laughs> I had the high and tight haircut at first, or actually first I was shaved bald, then high and tight haircut when they allowed me to grow it out, but that's a very unusual sign. And when people see me, it's, why is your hair cut that way? Well, I'm a Marine. Oh, it makes sense. How would it be, what kind of church would it look like that when our children earnestly come back to us, they may have wronged us, that we forgive them, that we welcome them back, that we restore them, that if people saw it, well, how could you do that to your son, the Pharisees of our world? Should you not outcast him for the pain that they have caused you? No. What kind of church do we look like to the world that it's like, oh, of course they welcome them back and forgive their sons. They are children of God. Such a powerful testimony that can be to all of us. And the freedom within our church, that that is a sign that you can forgive. Fathers, forgive your children. Mothers, also forgive your children. Children, forgive your parents for the wrong against them. Brothers and sisters, forgiving one another. Christian friends, forgiving one another. What a powerful gift that the fathers, our Heavenly Father has given, not to fathers to you today, is what, but to all his children. Such a powerful testimony that we have in here that we merely are not meeting society's bare minimum of present and not always passed out, which they consider a great father, but one who wants to restore, to turn the heart back to the Lord. That is our Heavenly Father's gift to you today. And also his gift that he is quick to forgive you. Our Heavenly Father works the exact same way. You may have wronged him. You may have insulted and spit it in his face. But he is standing at the edge of that field, looking out to you every day, waiting, hoping that you will come back. Because he wants to be like that father. He wants to run out and embrace you, to forgive you, to restore you. And he wants to have a party with you. And that, if you have not chosen him, he is now calling to each and every one of you, even those who are listening now on the internet. He's listening, he's waiting for you as well. He, at the edge of that field, quick to forgive. If you call on him, he is quick to forgive you. I believe we can all say a good amen to that. <laughs> amen. Well, before we close, and you now have plenty of time to spend with your fathers today or to think of your father and remember them. And give thanks for the work that they did, and fathers, especially everyone. 
be quick to forgive. What kind of church will we be if we all were that quick to forgive?